Notice anything different? That's right. No ad. Which means this space is available. So if you have a company or brand or product or anything really that you'd love to promote on 30 Pop, this is your chance. Just shoot me an email at the link in the show notes and I'll give you all the relevant details. Now, on to 30 Pop. Hello. Aaron. Luke. Hey, man, I've got a question for you. Yeah? There were two albums that released on January 29th, 1991, and I want to see if you know the like major single from either of them. Okay. Okay, so first was Gerardo with his album Mo Ritmo. Do you know the lead single on that? <laughs> Not a clue. Little song called Rico Suave. Oh my gosh. Yes, I remember that song. Can you sing me a little bit of it? <laughs> no. How does it go? It's like uh, Rico Suave. Okay, you really don't remember. All right, let's try the other one. The other album that came out, this was this band's <laughs> fourth album, self titled by The Divinals. Uh, I remember the name, The Divinals, but I can't think of what they sang. Okay, well, the song was called. I touch myself. Oh, when I think about you, I touch myself. I touch myself. (laughs) Okay. So I'm going to just cut everything except for you saying that you touch yourself. (laughs) So if you had to only keep one of those songs, which one would it be? Oh, I touch myself. (laughs) You have so much. There was that. That was the sound. You have so much to use against me now. I, Oh, obviously, I touch myself. Oh, this is perfect. That's all I need right there, man. That's all I need. I appreciate it. Hey, you're welcome, and I touch myself. <laughs> when See, I think about you. Okay. When I'll, I think about I'll you, hang it when up. I think about you, I touch nope. myself. From Mill U Media Group, this is 35. A weekly peek back at the music, movies, sports, fashion, politics, and news from 30 years ago. I'm your host, Luke Braun. This is Season 3, Episode 5, Fellow Fans and Lip-Syncing Legends. Today, we're looking back at the week that ended Saturday, February 2nd, 1991. Hello, friends, and welcome to the 100th episode of 30 Pop. I cannot believe we made it to 100 episodes. I produce a lot of podcasts and have for several years, but never have I made it to 100 episodes of a single show. This is the first, and I have you to thank for that. But for your listening ears and the tremendous amount of fun I have researching, recording, editing, producing, and promoting it, this show would have died long ago. But as it stands, I think we've only just begun. Regardless, let me just say it plainly. Thank you, thank you, thank you for continuing to listen to this show. Here's to the next 100 episodes. It seems fitting that for our 100th episode, we would have tons to talk about, and we do. There was so much happening in pop culture this week in 1991. We'll start with music, where most of the activity 30 years ago this week was outside the Billboard charts for once. In fact, the only change we saw in the charts this week, at least with regard to the number one spot, was on the Hot Country chart, where Paul Overstreet took over with his very fun single, Daddy's Come Around. Something worth keeping 
I mostly forgot this song existed, but as soon as I heard it while prepping for this episode, I remembered secretly loving it as a kid. Now, loving a country song didn't exactly fit the persona I was developing as a young aspiring rapper slash R&B singer slash breakdancer and generally the black sheep of the family. But I'll admit to you today that when I was sitting in the back seat and my dad cranked up the volume on this song and the whole family was singing full-throated on the way to our favorite Friday night Mexican restaurant, I complained a little less than with most of their other musical choices. It was just a fun one. Much more in my wheelhouse in those days, and these, were artists like Whitney Houston and groups like New Kids on the Block, each of whom performed at Super Bowl XXV, which happened in Tampa, Florida on January 27th of 1991 and which I mistakenly mentioned on last week's episode of 30 Pop, having copied down the wrong date. I do sincerely apologize for my sloppy reporting. Whitney, who is, with all due respect to the Beyonce lovers out there, perhaps the greatest pop and R&B singer of all time, second only to Michael Jackson in my humble opinion, opened the night with what has since become accepted as one of the single greatest performances of the Star Spangled Banner ever recorded. This performance felt especially significant to most Americans as it came only 10 days after the U.S. officially declared war in the Persian Gulf. Patriotic sentiment was high. Unfortunately, no small amount of controversy accompanied the performance in the days that followed as apparent anthem purists felt robbed learning that the version of the song they heard broadcast was recorded a few days in advance of the game as a precautionary measure in the event that some sort of technical mishap may ruin the live performance. I'm about 99% sure this is always the case with these things, but with music lovers still recovering from the recent Milli Vanilli lip-sync scandal, I suppose they just weren't ready to know about it. Whatever. It was amazing. Especially when compared to what may have been the strangest halftime show in the history of Super Bowl halftime shows. For one reason or another, Mickey Mouse and about a thousand kids took center field dressed like the creepy little dolls from Disney's It's a Small World. They sang the song and carried out a set that looked just like the ride leading up to and following a brief, awkward, and definitely lip-sync performance by New Kids on the Block. A performance that was aired late as it was delayed for breaking coverage on the Persian Gulf War. It was a weird night. Equally awkward was their performance the next night at the 18th Annual American Music Awards, in which they hit the stage with about 20 dancers and inexplicably Public Enemy's Flava Flav to perform their tough guy rap tune, Games. Donnie wore a sleeveless t-shirt with the words War Sucks written prominently on the front, and while I don't disagree, it came off a little, I don't know, ridiculous? Other performers for the night included MC Hammer, Vanilla Ice, Mariah Carey, Wilson Phillips, Poison, Belle Biv DeVoe, Reba McIntyre, NXS, and a tribute to Merle Haggard featuring country stars George Strait, Garth Brooks, Travis Tritt, Clint Black, and a number of other huge names. Most of those folks also took home major awards that evening, as did Janet Jackson, Madonna, Aerosmith, Phil Collins, and John Bon Jovi. It was about as early 90s a night as one could hope for. Pretty glorious. 
In other news this week in 1991, on February 1st, author and attorney John Grisham released his second novel and the first to garner wide critical acclaim. The Firm, which would go on to become the best-selling novel of 1991 and be adapted into a film in 1993 starring Tom Cruise and Gene Hackman. Then, in admittedly less exciting news, on February 2nd, 1991, the price of U.S. postage was raised from 25 cents to 29 cents, which, strangely, I actually remember. And finally, for the last week of an incredibly impressive 12-week run, the number one film at the box office this week in 1991 was the John Hughes, Chris Columbus, Christmas masterpiece, Home Alone. When the McAllister family left on their Christmas vacation... Did we miss the flight? No, you just made it. Yeah! They forgot one small thing. Have yourself I have a terrible feeling. Did you lock up? Yeah. Do we set the timers on the lights? Mm-hmm. What else could we be forgetting? Our troubles will be ours. Kevin! Ah! Home Alone. Police in the northern suburbs are on the lookout for a pair of burglars who are calling themselves the Wet Bandits. We know that you're in there. It's Santa Claus and it's Elf. Get off my property. This is my house. I have to defend it. Where's your mother? My mom's in the car. Where's your father? He's at work. What about your brothers and sisters? I'm an only child. Where do you live? Can't tell you that. Why not? Because you're a stranger. He's a kid. I mean, what can a kid do to us? Kids are stupid. I know I was. You still are, Mark. This is it. Ow! I don't care if I have to get out on your runway and hitchhike. I am going to get home to my son. Take your shoes off. Why do you dress like a chicken? Gus Polinski, Polka King of the Midwest. If you have to get to Chicago, we'll gladly drive you. Hey, guys. Yesterday, he was just a kid. But tonight, he's a home security system. You guys give up or you're thirsty for more? From John Hughes. You know, I got a feeling this is going to be your best Christmas ever. A family comedy without the family. Home alone. Are you here all alone? I'm eight years old. You think I'd be here alone? I don't think so. With this being our last official week to reminisce on this at least near-perfect film, I thought it would be fun to welcome onto the show some fellow superfans. My regular co-host on the show, Caleb Sanderson, his wife, Kenna, and her older brother, Andrew. The only people I know who may have been as excited about looking back on Home Alone as me. We hopped on a call this week to share our favorite Home Alone memories. Here's our conversation. Caleb, Kenna, and Andrew, I'm so happy to have you on, and let me tell you why. We've had all kinds of Home Alone coverage over the last 12 weeks, and none of it has been from fellow fans. And I don't think I'd ever met anyone, Kenna and Andrew, until you, who loved the movie the way that I do. First of all, welcome to 30 Pop. So good to have you all on. Thank you. Thank you. Tell me about your history with this movie, because I know that you love it as much as I do. So what's the story there? Kenna, you want to jump in, or you want me to take it? I guess you take it because I just remember having always watched it. So I don't well, know. picture this, Luke. Uh, in 1990, 
we had moved to London maybe a few months previous to that. I guess we moved to London in the summer of 1990. And uh, around November, uh, my dad had to take a business trip to Norway and my mom decided to go with him. So uh, we were going to be home and uh, some a young couple from our church uh, were going to stay with us and watch us over the weekend, I guess. And so they, they were trying to think of stuff to do. They were, they were childless. And so they were trying to think of uh, something they could do with us kids. And so they decided, hey, this movie just came out, Home Alone. Let's go to the Odeon Cinema Swiss Cottage and uh, go look at this thing. Uh, so we, I guess we was maybe a matinee. It was daytime when we went. And uh, we went. I, I'd seen the previews. I wanted to go watch it. So I was excited. We went and saw this movie and I was blown away. <laughs> it's you know, I was about 12 years old at the time, so older than, than the main character. But, uh, you know, it's a lot of little boys' fantasies. Uh, it's kind of came true on that, uh, that film. And uh, I was just engrossed. And as soon as we could get our hands on a VHS copy, uh, American version, we had to use it in our American VCR. I watched that thing every Saturday for probably two or three years. Do you remember that, Kenneth? I remember seeing it a lot. So Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I watched that thing until the uh, the tape actually started to warp. And there was probably at some point I could uh, tell you every line verbatim. You could just mute the movie and I could give you every uh, every line from every actor. I'm confident that I could do that today. I, it's one that I still watch regularly. I mean, I watch it several times mm-hmm. a year. It's sort of like comfort food for other people where you just need something that feels right. I will turn that movie on and like, it's just the best. I love Absolutely. it so much. So yeah. tell me about, Kenna, what do you remember growing up with it? I just remember seeing it all the time and I know it's become a tradition since I was little that we watch it multiple times during the holidays. I mean that is the go-to movie that we always watch and it's just we love it. Everybody loves it. <laughs> but not we watch it once a season. Yeah, they watch it multiple times a year and since it's come to streaming and it's just available it pops on periodically throughout the year and they yeah. passed it on to their children. Luke. Well that was my next question. So y'all each yeah. have multiple kids now. And I trust that the legacy is continuing. Yes. my At my house, my five-year-old son, Oliver, his favorite movie is the first Home Alone. Uh, my 10-year-old daughter, Eloise, her favorite movie is the second Home Alone, Lost in New York. Wow, really? Uh, she hasn't really articulated why, but that's fine with me. I get to watch both every two to three months. So I'm happy. Yeah, our, our oldest really likes both of them, but our youngest, he really enjoys Home Alone 4, and so now he's up for adoption. Yeah, <laughs> man, that is, that is a mystery. I actually, this year, made myself watch all five movies. I mean, the first and second, easy, happy to do it, always happy to do it, but I had to know, like, how did these keep getting made? And I, I've heard uh-huh. that there's actually a reboot in the works. Have you heard about this? Yes. Yeah. It's the kid from Jojo Rabbit, the little chunky boy. Okay. <laughs> I oh, can't yeah. wait for that. But yeah, I watched <laughs> three, four, and five. Almost just had to know, you know, like mm-hmm. morbid curiosity. And they are they are worse than I even imagined them being. Yeah, I forced myself to watch three a couple weeks back. And uh, my kids got up and walked away before I did. <laughs> yeah, I could make it through. <laughs> yeah. The fact John Hughes has his name on it is insane to me. Unbelievable, yeah. And I think it's the fourth one that it's supposed to be Kevin again, but he's only got two siblings. His parents are divorced. Like, it's a mess, man. (laughs) Yeah, Kate's not divorcing Peter. He's got too much money. (laughs) (laughs) And whichever one that is, it's like the opposite. He leaves her for this very rich woman. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But So tell me this. I'm curious, watching it as a kid and now being adults, has the like most resonant character for you 
changed over the years? Like, were you, you know, a Kevin guy and then now you totally relate to Peter? Or what's that been like? Becoming a parent. Yeah, when I first saw it, you know, again, I was 12 years old, a little older than Kevin, but I, I was a Kevin guy for a couple of years. And then as you get older and turn to a teenager, I thought, hey, Buzz is pretty cool. You know, I thought Buzz, kind of a big brother you didn't want to mess with. And then uh, a little later on, I started to like old man Marley. He kind of reminds me of uh, our maternal grandfather, Papa, for some reason. And so I kind of took a liking to, to that fellow. Nice. Ken, what about you? I think it's always been Kevin. <laughs> Kevin, what about you? So you didn't grow up in the Killian family, but you, I'm sure, grew up watching Home Alone. Yeah, yeah. I will say we watched it as a kid in the theaters, and it was a lot of fun. But I kind of went away from it for a long time until I met Kenna and realized just how much of a staple it is within the family. And so I kind of came back to it. In the early days, I did a lot of dogging on it and poking holes in its uh, plots and whatnot. But um, I can't imagine what holes there would be to poke. Like, okay, so I'm not kidding when I, I've said this several times on the show. I have thought for years about starting a Home Alone specific podcast because every time I watch it, I'm floored by how perfectly the story was told. I mean, they thought of every detail. Like they have covered every base throughout the movie. And I just think it's brilliant. I think you couldn't get that but for the combination of John Hughes and Chris Columbus. So when right. you talk about poking holes in the plot, like what could you possibly have to say? I mean, I could do it if we were watching. I'm not so big a fan that I could. I, I love the movie. Don't get me wrong. I think it's a lot of fun. Of course, there's a suspension of, of belief that you have to have in order to buy all the coincidences, I think, for me as a storyteller there. There's just too much coincidence happening. But I do love the movie. I'm not here to say that the movie is bad. As I become a father, the parents drive me insane and just how dumb they are. And I think that's my problem with it just how dumb these parents are uh, and irresponsible and, you know, just rich. Uh, you asked the question, who do you resonate with? Of course, as a kid, you resonate with Kevin because you want to beat up these guys and be home alone because that sounds awesome. As an adult, I resonate so much with Marvin Harry. Like they're really the good guys here oh because Kevin is a, a smart ass and deserves what he gets. But everyone in that family deserves what they get. But I will, that's just my- I will say as a kid, even as a kid and still today when I watch it, I am shocked by some of the things that Kevin says to his family. Like it's unbelievable <laughs> the way that he speaks to his mom. That would not have happened. We were kids used to get this focus on the family uh, magazine oh, gosh. for children. And uh, there was an article in there about Kevin mouthing off to his parents and- you're how kidding. naughty that was. Oh, my God. I remember reading that thinking, well, yeah, but it, it's a movie, you know, come on. As the years have gone by, my appreciation, and I talk about this a lot on the show, too, my appreciation for Catherine O'Hara, seeing her, I only ever knew her as Kate McAllister, obviously, as a kid. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, as I got older and saw who she is in, like, all of the Christopher Guest movies and then on Shits mm-hmm. Creek and just seeing how brilliant and how much range she has as an actress. When I go back and watch Home Alone, I'm more blown away by her than anyone because I just think she nails it. And it's actually such a serious role for her mm-hmm. by comparison to all of the kind of ridiculous characters that she's played since. But mm-hmm. um, yeah. well, she is one that I just have the highest appreciation for. Isn't so she that, riffing with John Candy? I mean, all his lines in the movie are just ad lib, and she's riffing with them seamlessly. I mean, she's going right along with it. Like I'm sure, like yeah. No, I just think Joe Pesci also, like y'all pointed it out a few times with Goodfellas, his range of being seriously that and then being a very believable comedic actor, staying within his realm or whatever, but 
just the talent they have and, and uh, Daniel Stern, you know, I don't think he's done enough things yeah. as a recent, but his time there in the early nineties with city slickers and wonder years. I mean, yeah, you know, it's funny. That's another one that like home alone was obviously the first place I ever saw Joe Pesci. I didn't know Joe Pesci from anything else. Why would mm-hmm. I, I was 10 years old when it came out. And then the next thing that I knew him from, even sort of like from a distance was my cousin Vinny. So I only ever thought of him as a comedic actor. Mm-hmm. I only saw Goodfellas like, in the last two years, but it was also for me, it's really weird to see him in that sort of typical mobster role because I know him as a comedic actor first and foremost, you know, mm-hmm. almost exclusively sure. as that. So, and then Daniel Stern. Yeah. I mean, to see him play such a ridiculous character after really knowing him from wonder years, which at this point was like a year and a half old, maybe two years old when home alone came out. And I just already recognized that voice. And then to see him be so freaking silly was crazy. He's good with the slapstick. Uh, I know a lot of the stunts were done by, you know, there's one stunt that happens, one moment of slapstick that is clearly him and it gets me every time. And it's when he comes in the window and is stepping on bulbs Mm -hmm. and they're shattering under his feet. I mean, it just, oh, it gets me every time, but, but it (laughs) seems to really be him. So anything else about this movie that makes you particularly nostalgic? As far as nostalgia, no, it's just always been there. Uh, So it's, it's been with me every development of my life. I don't look back on it. You know, as part of my childhood, I, I kind of see it as something that's come along with me, almost like a, yeah. a worn out teddy bear. I got into the movie so much that I, I loved their house that it, it was part of the reason why I went and got, I got a master's degree in architecture. Really? That and growing up in England. But uh, I used to sit and watch the movie and I would get graph paper and I'd try and figure out the floor plan for the house. I, it was never right because part of the house was filmed on location. The other part of the house was filmed in a set. So, you know, it's not going to all... <laughs> together as I found out. Uh, but even now, uh, when my wife and I were, were looking for homes uh, last year, uh, I would always refer to a house. I like as a home alone house. Cause it kind of had that brick it's the best. Uh, look to it. Yeah. yeah. You so know, I've got the uh, floor plan if you want it. I, you know, the, uh, when he rolls out his plan, you know, Kevin's, yeah, whatever. Right. His, my mother-in-law gave me a shirt this year that has that whole thing. Oh, that's right. awesome. So, yeah. And Macaulay Culkin actually drew that. That was, uh, that was his handiwork. Right? Is it really? That's amazing. I wonder yeah. if it's like licensed yeah. out by him. That's so funny. <laughs> he's a great follow on Twitter too. If nobody out there is following. <laughs> he him, is. He's, he's quite fascinating. When I was a kid, I always thought we could be best friends. Oh man, me too. I was, yeah. a, I think a year older than Kevin McAllister. Okay. And I just, I thought he was so freaking cool. I was like, man, why wasn't I not that smart when I was, you know, a year ago? But I think something for me, just as far as a nostalgic feel is it's a weird one, but you know, at the beginning of the movie, when the wind is blowing through and it knocks the power out. And uh, for me, that marks like the season coming in, like, you know, here in Texas, we don't get many cold days, but whenever you get the cold wind blowing through at night, it always takes me back to that that movie, that particular scene. And I get a little creeped out because I was younger then and it was shot in you know kind of a dark way. Mm-hmm. The wreath. That, yeah, the scary. wreath and the, the up close to the, the, I guess, the Santa or something on mm-hmm. the door. But that, whenever I feel that or I'm in that kind of mood outside, it always makes me think of Home Alone. I love it. I wake up thinking about it every single day because the song that's playing in that moment is my alarm clock. And so... At like 4.30 every morning. That's what I'm hearing. Is I think, I think Luke has to step up on us, Kenna. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this week we are looking at it for the very last time, at least for this run, but 12 straight weeks as the number one film in the country. And I'm not kidding when I say mm-hmm. there's not been another film that was even half of that. It was even close. In fact, no. the closest 
was also John Candy and Macaulay Culkin in Uncle Buck Mm -hmm. in 89. But besides those two, I mean, nothing has a reign of 12. And and that's what the thing that's crazy to me is that we're at February 2nd and it's still Mm -hmm. the number one film in the country. And it's a Christmas movie. I just think that's so crazy. Yeah. What's so funny about that is nobody thought they had this runaway hit. A lot Mm -hmm. of them thought it was just going to be, you know, two week run. A lot of the actors took the job just because they thought it'd be an easy paycheck. And it just turned into this tradition, this staple yeah. for Christmas. Yeah. Um, and then they hit it out of the park again with Home Alone 2. Now, Home Alone 1 is better. Of course, yeah. Uh, Home Alone 2, it's got everything there as well. It's funny, Home Alone 2, in so many ways, they sort of recycle a lot of jokes. But there's also some moments in Home Alone 2 that stand alone. I mean, like there are things about Home Alone 2 that make it worth watching in and of itself, even aside from the fact that they're playing a lot of the same jokes out. So (laughs) anyway, I'm so happy to have friends with whom I can share my deep love for this movie next year, or maybe sometime this year, just in March, we'll get together and and actually watch it. That would be super fun. So yeah. And then in another two years, uh, we can do Home Alone 2. Thank you guys so much (laughs) for being on. Always fun. We'll definitely have you back for Home Alone 2. Thank you, Luke. Thank you. Thanks, ma'am. See you next time. My sincerest thanks to Andrew, Kenna, and Caleb for being a part of this episode and sharing their love for this movie on 30 Pop. And huge thanks to you for listening. I'll be back next week with more fun from 1991 and a brand new number one film at the box office. I do hope you'll join me. For now, in memory of actor Dustin Diamond, who we lost tragically this week to cancer, I'll leave you with the words of his unforgettable character from Saved by the Bell, Samuel Screech Powers. When morning comes, I raise my head, shut off the alarm, and get out of bed. I brush my teeth, like Mother said, and I always feed my spider Ted. 30 Pop is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Bronner. Our artwork is by the amazing Heather Hale. To check out more shows from Mill U Media Group, visit millumedia.com, which is linked in the show notes for this episode. And if you have a story from 30 years ago that you want to share... Leave a message on the answering machine at 30pop.com. 